0: The curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing, or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it.
1: And welcome to episode 66 of the NashyCast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And uh, we just like to uh, let everybody know that we are thrilled to be back to doing a kind of regular (laughs) NashyCast episode for the first time in uh, a while.
2: Uh huh. Are you are you really meaning that word thrilled? <laughs>
1: well, yes, yes, I am. I, yeah. I know, I know where you're. I know, where, yes, yes. I know where, No, you're, you're right. We're you're we're, happy, we're happy. We're happy to
2: have any excuse because because yeah because we don't get a whole lot of excuses to do a regular Nashie cast these days. It's
1: true. It's true. I mean, we've uh, we we. It's not that we've covered every single film mm-hmm. that Paul Nashi starred in. Far from it. There's still, uh, uh, I would say, what what about ten, maybe yeah. that we haven't covered.
2: Well, you mean as far as ones that that, that had, he's in? that he's yeah um, right, and and some of those, of course, we're not sure the the extent of his participation. But I know that there's there's at least two or three that we know that he definitely either co wrote or wrote the script to, and that of course makes us even more interested. Whether regardless of how much he's in the right. film, anything that he's that creatively involved in, we really still want to get our hands on some of those.
1: But there is one film, <laughs> and it is the subject of this uh, this episode. <laughs> That uh, I will be up front with everyone and explain that uh, I have exerted the 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 giant foot of no.
2: Yes, it was like the Monty Python animated foot coming <laughs> yes, down on this. Yes. Not that I ever was pushing for it. Not I that think, I was like begging to do this film. But uh,
1: I I I never wanted to really cover Shadows of Blood from 1988 for various sundry reasons. One, uh, everything I've ever heard about the movie is that it is an abysmal cinematic piece of garbage
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in that respect I really rather would not put myself through it yeah. and then several years back Troy you,
2: you I, just, I did subject myself to that cinematic slog through hell yes
1: yes yes seven, did, we, seven we, minutes
2: uh, yeah, our, our our late friend Dan Fisher uh, sent, us, sent us a, a copy of it that he had managed to procure um, so without us even talking about hey let's do this film next I just had it at hand decided to watch it one day and, and, and I very quickly after that told Rod <laughs> I will never push you into doing this film, you know. In fact, I would urge you not to 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 watch it.
1: <laughs> well, it didn't take much, considering the comments from uh, Nashi himself, both yeah. in his autobiography and yeah. and in a couple of interviews, made me think that uh, probably I was saving myself a good deal of uh, pain
2: mm-hmm. by
1: not watching this film. If I if I wanted to, you know, throw myself into that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that, <laughs> that that house on fire, maybe maybe one day, yeah. do it. But I right. decided let's not mm-hmm. go down that pathway but as we will uh, as we will explain uh, once we get to the body of this episode uh something finally made it possible mm-hmm. for me to get over that uh that negativity shall we say yeah and finally talk about this movie it has nothing to do with the movie itself no. it's more uh, uh an avenue of an attack a, a mm. way of coming at this movie uh a version of uh, mental exercise, shall yeah. we say, that allows me to watch this movie and talk about this movie in a way that uh, mm-hmm. keeps a smile on my face mm-hmm. and doesn't make me weep when the when, <laughs> when watching uh, a good man suffer needlessly. So um, there's there that you've got that to look forward to if that's yeah. <laughs>
0: if
1: that's how you think about it. Uh, we would just like to go out on a limb here and point out that if you've not gotten your hands on all the Paul Nasche films that are currently available on Blu ray, uh, remember the most recent one to come out is from Mondo Macabro. Mm-hmm. It is uh, Panic Beats. You can pick that up right now. I think uh, probably get it from Amazon for less than 20 bucks. Yep. Probably less than 18 bucks the last mm-hmm. time I looked. Mm-hmm. So Panic Beats is out there on Blu ray. That joins uh, the other Mondo Macabro uh Blu-rays. You've got El Caminante under the title uh, "The Devil Incarnate." You've got Inquisition. You've got uh, Beast in the Magic Sword. Beast and the Magic Sword. There's a there's yeah. a biggie. I was yeah. I was I was pausing there because I was oh, wait what was, that? What was that the other biggie? <laughs> oh Lord, I couldn't remember. But it is a, a great joy along with those two great Screen Factory sets mm. um, and the whew, those three that had recently come out: The Mummy's The Mummy's Revenge, mm. uh, Assignment Terror. Fury of the Wolfman. Man. Oh, right. I'm sorry, Fury of the Wolfman. Man. Yeah. I, I thought you were going at it. those are all on what? Scorp- Scorpion
2: is it? Scorpion that put those out or who am I? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scorpion put yeah. those out. Yeah.
1: And uh, we, you know, with those, I mean, those aren't the only ones that are out. You got Count Dracula's Great Love still out there from Vinegar Vinegar Syndrome. It's right. just, uh, yep. man, we
2: uh, uh, Full we, Moon just uh, put out uh, uh, oh. Hanging Woman under a different title. What is it? Four like, Dead Living Dead. Yes, yep. it's yep. put that out. So and
1: yeah. uh, there are no extras on that Blu-ray, but that no. Blu-ray looks. Yeah. Phenomenal! They had to uh, they had to repress it because there was a pressing mm-hmm. mistake. Uh, but if you buy it now, you'll be getting the repressed version of it. And man, it is a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, do wish that there was a, a commentary track or some mm-hmm. you know some kind of extra or something on there. But it's a it's an awful cheap disc. That's what that's one you get for like twelve bucks. Yeah, yeah. A host of wonderful Paul Nashy Blu-rays out there, and it is uh, man. Who would have thought 10 years ago that we'd be sitting in a position where we could say, hey, you can go yeah. out there and buy damn near 20 Paul Nashie films on Blu-ray. <laughs> what a great... If you went back, I know,
2: if you went back just two or three years, you could probably find the episode where we're lamenting the fact that the only Paul Nashie Blu-ray is Crimson. We're going, Crimson? Why did it have to be Crimson? <laughs>
1: and I managed to not mention that one, and now you now I it have. Yeah. yeah, sorry sack of crap.
2: I don't even remember who it was who put that first one out. Um... um Oh, Crimson, uh, was it code red or was it image no right
1: I, it, I can't remember myself
2: yeah, anyway yeah. but it had to start somewhere and it did get the ball rolling and, and uh, luckily we didn't have to wait too much longer to get the real good <laughs> stuff out there so. <laughs>
1: yes, yes I know oh my goodness but folks we want to thank you for uh, chiming in we've got some uh, emails to read out at the end of the show yep. and uh, we'll get to those after we get to the discussion that we have here of uh, believe it or not finally mm-hmm that shot-on-video mm-hmm. piece of cinematic dreck, <laughs> Shadows of Blood. I am Dr. Lee
0: Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, the Hands of Fate, and and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game.
1: This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills.
0: Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at ksteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the Chamber is always waiting for its next victim aren't tv movies fun you see all these familiar faces but doing really unfamiliar things and i think that that's really exciting and i think that's something important to the history of film in general join amanda there's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men so i'm just telling you i think there was a little brokeback mountain (laughs)
1: <laughs> Dad. I think Therese is a little bipolar. Her voice, it goes from this sort of s- sexy, sensuous voice to, Okay, Ramsey, get out of here. It's like, oh, and Nate. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s, the crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got.
2: <laughs> <laughs> As they discuss
0: their favorite made-for-TV movies. Mr. Hazelrick. On the Made for TV Mayhem Show. This man came to see him. He never comes to see him at work. <laughs> what kind of stories could he have to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> Tales of his postal delivery. <laughs>
1: of Blood 1988 we are not recommending you watch this movie no we are thinking that this is one of those rare instances where listening to our podcast about this movie is better than watching the movie yeah <laughs> unless this just makes you extraordinarily extraordinarily curious I unless mean, you're some... a
2: mascus maybe you're a
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yes yes you I mean, could be like me and the simple yeah. fact that Paul Nash is in it means that there's a certain level of curiosity about mm-hmm. this cinema Experience. I'll call it yeah. that. How about it's, a cinema it's,
2: experience? It's, some of us, you know, have called. That's why we call Rod, the, you know, the the cinema, cinema Jesus, basically, because he <laughs> routinely dies for the rest of our sins. You know, some of the stuff he makes himself watch. Uh. <laughs> it, it's.
1: I don't do it as much as I used right, to. Right. But yeah. there was a long period of time where I would throw myself on mm-hmm. every. Mm-hmm. Hand grenade, every every exploding horror movie hand grenade that I could that I can get within view, and uh, no matter how no matter how, no matter how abysmal, no matter how slow, no matter how bad, no matter how poorly produced, no matter how crappy, just the yeah, the yeah. Uh, the bootleg version of it that I had yeah. in my hands to watch, I would suffer my way through it and then report back to my friends, who usually would just shake their heads in in
2: disgust. They say better you than me, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Well, in this instance, like I said, I've already talked about the fact that I really had kind of walled this movie off mm-hmm. and decided that I was not going to pursue it because it just seemed like it would maybe make me angry mm-hmm. because I know that when this... At the time that uh, Paul Aschie was participating in making this film it was a very low point yeah. in his career. Yeah. Uh, he, was, uh, he was going through a very va- very bad patch, uh, both financially and emotionally.
2: Professionally, He was feeling very, very underappreciated. Uh, I know he talks about this time there was uh, he was getting no calls from, you know, the, the yeah. film industry. And in fact, they were even having I think uh, there was a, some sort of anthology show that was pulling in pretty much every horror personality from Spanish cinema at that time. And yet not him, you know, and he was just like, yeah. what did I do? You know, what, what, what you know, how have I become so invisible uh, they're, his they're, wife was having to work to yeah. support the family. You know, so it, was, it was he, a bad yeah. time. Yeah.
1: And so the idea of watching this film and uh, knowing mm-hmm. that this film is as bad as it is and that his participation in it probably marked the nadir of his mm-hmm. career, at least to a certain degree.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, if there, Let's put it this way. If there's a lower point, now that I've seen the movie, if there's a lower point in his career... I would fear watching it. Yeah, I, w- I, mean, I would worry it just a little bit. I mean, because, this makes
2: Impusa. Uh, <laughs> this yeah. makes Impusa seem like a an A list. Uh, you know, like a like a, a career accolade. It's a
1: well. I mean, with Impusa, at least that's it's near the end of his career, and it was unfinished. Yeah, and yeah. you could see that. You know, he was he was at least feeling his oats again. He yeah. was trying to. Oh, he yeah. was trying. He was working. Mm. He was working with. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, at least by that time, he'd already started to get some. He's had he'd had some really plum roles again, and some yes. really really good. Stuff happened. And, and I had a lot of appreciation shown from, you know, the people he had influenced
1: in the new horror, horror generation. Exactly. So it is with that that uh, we have to confess that what mm. pushed us mm-hmm. to finally decide to cover Shadows of Blood uh, is a friend of ours.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, this friend of ours is named Shannon, and she contacted Troy and I and made mention of a podcast that she had stumbled across that unexpectedly. Had a Paul Nashie connection. This is an Australian podcast called Finding Desperado. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there was a there have been two seasons of it. The first mm. season involves the hunt for a a, a lost movie. Mm.
2: Uh, it's called Finding Drago. I think was the first season, right? I believe.
1: I believe I, I I'll be honest I can't I can't remember I, I, find I feel Desperado like, uh,
2: yeah I think finding Desperado is the name of the second season but I almost feel like it was goes by the name finding Drago for the first season because of the book that they're searching for uh, which yes. is written about the Dolph Lundgren character they actually discovered <laughs> yes. they discovered that there was a novel that actually somebody had written about the Dolph Lundgren character
1: from Rocky 4
2: yes uh, so yeah so and so that set them off phone and that's kind of the premise of the show is they get some sort of weird hint of some bizarre cinematic Mystery, and they start hunting for, you know, the truth. Uh, so, yeah. The,
1: or the tr- yeah. The tr- if, if it's findable.
2: If it's findable.
1: Now, in the second season, what kicks it off has absolutely nothing to do with Paul Nash or Shadows of Blood. Right. They just eventually end up there. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. starts it off. Is one of the one of the two hosts of the show, and by the way, these two guys, this is this is a sideline thing for them. They yeah. have a whole other job mm. there in at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Yes, it's
2: Cameron James and Alexi, and excuse me, Cameron James and uh, uh, I think Alexi
1: So this is kind of a sideline thing for them. They do for fun, and this is let, let, let's let's be let's be very clear. These are funny guys.
2: Oh yeah, you should listen to the show. They're really entertaining.
1: The the shows are sharp, witty. They're short. I mean, they're anywhere from thirty, like forty f- minutes. Thirty roast. to forty-five minutes long mm-hmm. each episode. They're fast. They're funny, and they know how to tell a story. And they are dogged. They will take. I mean, since these, this is a sideline podcast. They're not any, apparently, any timeline to produce this at any particular speed. Right. So when they finally have an answer is when they start put, put, putting all the pieces together. And, mm. and therefore, it becomes pretty entertaining. So over the course of about eight episodes of a podcast, you get mm. this fully rounded story of this search for what they originally set out to find, which was an entry. And the Guinness Book of World Records is specifically an entry in the 2005 edition, which yeah. means that it was in there for a very long period of time. This entry stated that the youngest film director to ever complete a professional feature film was a man named Sidney Ling, L-I-N-G, mm-hmm. a Dutch filmmaker who at the age of 13 made the movie Lex the Wonder Dog. Mm -hmm. Well, they decide, oh, I want to find this movie. I want to see this movie. This this is Mm -hmm. kind of amazing. This Mm -hmm. guy made a movie at the age of 13. Mm -hmm. But, of course, they can't find it. Yeah. There's no, they can't find a way to see it. There's no way they they go on they go on there they go on, their, they go yeah. on what the mm. I would term the the famous Google hunt. Yeah, <laughs> which they make much much joke about, <laughs> and uh, they can't get any they can't get anywhere, yeah. and so they start digging into. Okay, well let's let's see if we can track down this this guy who made this movie. If he was yeah. 13 at the time this movie came out in 1973, yeah, he would be yada yada yada. Let's see what we can find, and mm. so the podcast is essentially their search mm-hmm. for Sidney Ling. And it it, it leads know, down some wide it paths.
2: Truly, truly does. It's like we don't want to give away too much of what of the overall story because we want you to go and, and hear their version of it, uh, or hear how they come to what they discover. But through much of it, they're not truly sure that this, not only that this film exists, this Lex the Wonder Dog, they're not truly even sure if Sidney Ling himself is a real person.
1: Correct, correct, because they mm-hmm. can find no proof that he yeah. exists at all. Yeah. Until a certain, until months into mm-hmm. their their mm-hmm. pursuit, mm-hmm. Uh, when they, I mean. <laughs> Nothing is funnier than mm-hmm. hearing them read the extremely bizarre description of Sidney Ling mm-hmm. from uh, a Blogspot website that seems to have been kept up by Sidney Ling, mm-hmm. where in which he describes himself as possibly older than Methuselah. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to to uh, let's explain the word fabulist. Yeah, uh, Sidney Ling is is there's. There's Egomaniac, and then there's Sidney Ling. Yeah. (laughs) Someone who not only believes his own bullshit, Mm -hmm. but is pretty sure he's willing to try to make you believe his bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, possibly, while talking to you about Mm -hmm. the bullshit, Mm -hmm. craft more bullshit to layer on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So... It's fascinating. Uh, we won't give away. I, I really do. I, I know it sounds strange to to not want to give you spoilers for a podcast, mm-hmm. an eight-episode podcast. But it really is entertaining enough that you should seek it out and have yeah. a good time. Because oh, it's oh. incredibly entertaining. And, it qu- and quite a ride.
2: And, and, and honestly, I found myself thinking at times of two things would come to mind. One is Woody Allen's film Zelig. Uh, yeah. And another one is a, a short film that Peter Jackson did called Forgotten Silver uh both of which are are kind of what they come to be called mockumentaries you know uh about mythical people who existed and seemed to be everywhere and kind of and you know as in forgotten silver it's about a filmmaker who was sort of miles ahead of everybody else but ended up being totally forgotten By history and that you kind of feel like you're almost in like a mockumentary, you know, some of the things that these people uncover about Sidney Ling.
1: (laughs) Well, I I agree that Zelig was a point of a point of departure for me at certain at certain times Mm -hmm. during that podcast where I kept thinking to myself, this feels as if we're trapped within something like Zelig, where Mm -hmm. this person is inserting themselves into situations. Yeah. And then you're never really sure if they're if these things are real or not.
2: Yeah, and and just like Zelig was the human chameleon who could fit in any situation, it sounds like Sidney Lee, you know, maybe has yeah. the same sort of power too. To like, you know, like you said, maybe just the power of incredible bullshit, but he <laughs> yeah. somehow manages to, you know, to, <laughs> to to craft quite a quite a life for himself, and 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 uh, apparently knows everybody in in, in showbiz in some weird
1: way or another. <laughs> Uh, or at least conv- is able to convince other people that uh, he does know these people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I will say this, just as a little aside, I was very amused by him... Uh, being at uh, places like the Cannes Film Festival and festivals of that type mm-hmm. and having this guy who looks a lot like Arnold Schwarzenegger sit at a table with him mm-hmm. so that it would fool some people yeah. into thinking that this guy knew <laughs> yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger even yeah. though yeah. it wasn't even really Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> that's that's one of those points yeah. of departure where it's just like oh god mm-hmm. this is this is beautiful this is this is sheer madness
2: oh yeah absolutely
1: well so as you might expect the way we get from uh, Lex the Wonder Dog and Sidney Ling to Shadows of Blood and Paul Mashee is that Sidney Ling is the man who supposedly directed, wrote, and produced Shadows of Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, also did the music for it. Uh, the less said about the music in the film, the better for everyone.
2: But we may subject you to some of it, though.
1: Oh, I'm definitely going to suggest. I'm going to subject everyone to uh, at least some of the music and just let you know that that's all of the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, there it's i don't know that there's much
2: yeah the rest of it's just kind of playing around with sounds like a casio you know yeah. just an 80s 80s kind of you know oh
1: if, if it was anything other than a casio
2: yeah
1: i'll, I'll be shocked yeah. i mean i don't i can't imagine someone mm. having a really good instrument yeah. Yeah. and toning it down to the point where it would mm-hmm. sound like a casio so mm. it's gotta be a casio right <laughs> well there's a long stretch from 1973 to 1988 that's not what we're here to discuss right right Some of that information, although how much of it you'll believe is something that you should probably like I say check into that particular podcast it's called finding Desperado uh, It's the second season of the podcast uh, jump right in on the second season just for the the, the Sydney link or oh, oh, I'm sorry we've I've been I've been remiss. Lord. Yes, Sidney
2: Lord, Ling. we must. Yes, and we must acknowledge Lord Sidney Ling.
1: At one point, they're talking to someone in one of the episodes, and uh, this this person says, "If he's a real Lord, <laughs> I oh I can't remember the ridiculous statement he makes, but he's like nobody believes this guy's an actual Lord. <laughs> yeah. But I will state that." He could have done what I'm now seeing on Groupon on a regular yeah. basis, which is the you have the, the ability to to buy yourself a, a, yeah. a German or yeah. Irish lordship. Yeah, and uh, boy, have I been tempted, <laughs> Lord Rod,
2: Lord Rod, Lord Master of Lord. Uh, Master of
1: the Video Collection, <laughs> Lord Rod, he who hath too many comic books.
2: You know, I, I just yeah, I right. see
1: I see it stitched and hung on the wall, maybe <laughs> etched in gold, mm-hmm. maybe. These are all suggestions, people. Yeah. I'm just yes, that's right. I'm not asking for these things. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. if these existed, mm-hmm. I have wall space left.
2: Don't worry, if you donate to our podcast, I'll make sure it is not used to purchase <laughs> a lordship for Rod Burnett.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you bastard <laughs> Shadows of light. Need a woman for me. For shadows Just don't
1: a run through the plot yeah uh, okay that was the wrong word <laughs>
2: sprint <laughs>
1: the, 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 plot was the wrong term yeah was, there's a there's a story mm-hmm. I'll give I'll give the film that mm-hmm. let's let's emphasize that this is a short movie it's about 70 minutes long mm-hmm. 15 to uh, 71 minutes of it could have been edited out yeah <laughs> yeah there's some repetition okay actually the yeah. film is nothing but repetition right Uh, But there there, there comes a point when we're just seeing a replay of certain sequences from the movie. That's at the end. Let's... Okay, I am going to discuss this movie, I swear.
2: Yeah, I know, I know. It's hard to know how do you get into (laughs) a something
1: that's... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the movie... The movie... Wow. Let's start there. Yeah. Would you call this a movie? Uh...
2: I can definitely believe that it was kind of made up as it they went along I mean I can so I don't know if there was a an actual working script from the first I can believe that there wasn't you know that uh, a lot of it was just kind of like hey we're here on this street you, well, go, yeah, there, you yeah. go there you go there you go there
1: so much of it feels as if they're just walking around mm-hmm. grabbing shots randomly wherever yeah. they can find them.
2: Yeah, and, and I'll say right off, you know, that I in I'm, I'm general when it comes to, you know, independent films, low-budget films, things like that, I try not to pile on too much on what they lacked in technology at their hands, you know, in the sense like, you know, if, if that's what they had to make the film with was an 80s video camera, if that's all they had, but you can still bring some imagination and artistry something like that and that's what you have to judge the film on it's like it's like okay I'll grant you that this is what this is technology this is technically what you had to work with right but what did you do with that and that's where you have to judge on that's where you know it's like what did you bring to that yeah so. I'm well
1: I, I'm willing to get believe me I'm, I'm someone who can get a lot of joy out of a really poorly produced mm. monogram picture from the 1940s yeah. you know yeah. one that's yeah. so creaky that mm. you know somebody mm. needs to squirt oil on it I mean, I—I right, right. I, I mean, I can get—I mean, really terrible films, things like Black Dragons or mm-hmm. I mean, ridiculous, insane uh, Revolt of the Zombies, things like that. I get a kick out of these movies. I really do. I can enjoy them. Low-budget films from the eighties—I've enjoyed yeah. dozens upon dozens of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have even been and i'm i'm serious when i say this there have even been some shot on video movies made in the 80s where people worked their asses off to make as good a movie yeah. as they could yeah. using that that mm. recording format yeah. uh they, yes of course they don't they, they don't look as good as you might wish they did it certainly probably don't look as good as probably the people who made the movies wish that they looked mm-hmm. but there was an attempt these people started with a script yeah. I'm not sure that Shadows of Blood had a working script.
2: No, I, I, I know. I, I would fully believe. Yeah, we don't know for sure, but I would, I would, I, you wouldn't try have to try hard to convince me that that it was literally just improvised as they went. You know, made up as they as they
1: went. I, it feels as if someone had an idea, mm-hmm. and then took that idea and says, "Okay, we're just going to shoot a bunch of scenes where we can, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be able to fit them together as if it were a com- a complete mm-hmm. coherent." Narrative after the
2: fact. Because I'll even say right now, there are a couple of times in the film when it drops an almost good idea into the film. Like it drops <laughs> an element that yep, could have I agree. made things more interesting and almost immediately botches it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but look at it and you're like, yeah, that was almost a good idea that that actually could have gone somewhere.
1: <laughs> when we get to one of those, I want you I'll, to see it. will point out. them out. I okay, will point okay. them out. Okay. Yeah. Let's start here. One of the things. Oh, that by tells the way, let me just oh, say I'm sorry. Go
2: ahead. We are going to spoil this entire film as part of a way of not making you not want to watch it. So that's all part of our, our plan to dissuade you from watching the film. As we will
1: spoil, spoil. Dude, can this you, movie's can already you, spoiled. I would say, can you really? This movie spoil, yeah. went off the minute it was minted. <laughs> yeah. This movie <laughs> has had the smell of rancid <laughs> milk. <laughs> slowly turning yeah. into some semi-solid mm. thing that then creeps its way out of mm. the unelectrified <laughs> kitchen that it has festered within <laughs> to sink into the floorboards, through the floorboards, into the basement, and chase after the poor fucking rats in the basement.
2: Very true. Very true. Well said. It's, it's awful. Yeah. It's...
1: it's okay. okay, I'm ahead of myself again. Yes. Let's start like this. Amsterdam. The setting is Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, the setting is Amsterdam. And before we even get to the "quote unquote" story, we have the credits, and I want to complain about them.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: Okay, the credits, the generated on video, the pixelated <laughs> couldn't be cheaper if they worked their ass off to make it cheaper. Yeah, credits.
2: You think you're watching a game of pong, you know? <laughs> you exactly. I kept waiting for, for the little the, dots to go back
1: yes. and forth.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, it was. It's like, okay, all right, we're uh-huh. literally spending zero money on this. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'll give it is that there was never a point where either in the bottom right or the top left, we suddenly got the de- the time and date on the <laughs> That's screen.
2: true. I, you're right. You're okay? right. Uh, yeah. They managed to find they the switch to, yeah.
1: to make sure for that you're was right. always off.
2: Yeah. That's so a, we
1: don't get that imprinted on the image, hmm. which is the that's one of the few. Uh, hey, because
2: we would not be surprised if we did. I mean, that would actually oh, be no. not be surprised at all no. if I saw that.
1: If it suddenly said, yeah. you know, seven twenty eighty eight
2: in the yeah. bottom left hand corner, <laughs> you know,
1: one twelve p.m., it'd be like, yeah, yeah, no shit. All right, yeah. you might want to flick that off yeah. now. But the fact that they managed to not have that in the movie. <laughs> Who knows if they did fuck that up and they just left that yeah. cu- that that shot out. Who yeah. knows. Mm-hmm. It would certainly maybe explain why this film's level of coherence mm-hmm. is somewhere around the 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 around the same uh, of a a I don't know a a drunken psychedelic mm-hmm. trip taken mm-hmm. while someone is being spun in a cyclorama. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, after we get by the the sad credits sequence Which immediately tells you you have made a gargantuan viewing error,
2: because it lasts about ten minutes. You know, so you know it's padding out the time. Oh, it's
1: definitely padding the time. Yeah, both the beginning and end credits. Mm. I I think the the actual movie from when it actually begins until when it ends and the end credits begin, it's probably sixty three minutes, maybe sixty five. Yeah. So, I I I I would go time it, but then I would have to look at the movie. (laughs) Exactly. So. We get a guy who's wandering around uh, what appears to be just a clothing store, kind of an indoor-slash-outdoor-mall-type area, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. who then, uh, just out of nowhere, grabs this skateboarding dude in broad daylight and uh, strangles it.
2: And I will say this film did enlighten me to something I did not know is that it only takes three seconds to strangle the average human being, which I did not realize it was so easy.
1: I I know, (laughs) and apparently strangling them on a car hood, maybe that makes them strangle quicker.
2: (laughs) You think so? Yeah, it could could be, could be.
1: Could be. Uh, This fellow who's done this uh, just random out in broad daylight front of everybody murder (laughs) meets up with his buddy who's played by paul Nashi? now let's just say that mm-hmm. the the fellow we were first introduced to is uh, a character named jim haboof mm-hmm. who is played by someone named barry fleming as best we can tell mm-hmm. and he meets up with uh, an old buddy of his played by paul Nashi. now Nashi's character is named Pancho aguila mm-hmm. and uh we learn that uh they're in amsterdam where there's going to be like lots of victims, and they've just they've apparently just recently managed to both of them at the same time mm-hmm. escape from uh, a nut house, yeah. some kind of psycho yeah. ward, uh-huh. and they're in Amsterdam, and they're just going to like have a competition between the two of them to see who can kill the most number of people before they're caught. Mm-hmm. At least that seems to be so, yes. what's going on here? Mm-hmm. This movie spells things out in uh, what I'm sure to someone would read as an artistic way, and for most other people would just be a confusing and pointlessly ob- oblique fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we get these very... Oh, let's let's not talk yeah. about the cops yet. I can't talk about the cops yet. Okay.
2: I'll tell you, I want to say this right now, is that Paul Nashie has very, very little dialogue in this film because this film was shot in English, and we know yes. Paul Nashie did not have a great command of English, so his character is very much a uh, a man of very very few words he's only given a couple of words very short you know one two three word sentences to say throughout the film and yet it is obvious even if you didn't know who it is you know that he is the only true actor in this film true you this know, is true uh, and that's the even even with that just the way he does let's just say there's no way he could he could do much good in these he has nothing to work with but just the way he does carry off his scenes and just his expressions, the way he holds himself, compared to his fellow psycho killer friend who is very obviously not an actor. Boy, is he not an actor.
1: <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> uh, he does seem to have the command of the uh, uncomfortable evil laugh that goes on oh, too long.
2: Oh, my God. Yes, yes.
1: They, they build entire two or three minute sections of the movie around oh. the fact. <laughs> Well, that and the fact that we, for some reason, need to get a really good long look at his one bad tooth right there in the yeah,
2: front. Yeah, there's sometimes the weird cutaways to just him leering evilly, you know.
1: <laughs> As if that's going to, is that supposed to ramp up the, the suspense or the, the tension or the, mm. I, I, it just it just sends me into a state of puzzlement each time. Well, next we see uh, Nashi attacking someone. Uh, a lot of stranglings in this movie. Most the, the the general way of doing away with somebody in this movie does seem to be strangling. Although uh, there are some unfortunate pillows that get stabbed as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Pil-
1: pillows uh, pillows uh-huh. that get stabbed and somehow have uh, some fake blood on the knife mm-hmm. that's stabbing those pillows. Uh, but we'll get to the stabbed mm-hmm. pillows. It's around. It's after Nashi's first uh, first kill that. Uh, we're then introduced to and this is just on the street, by the way, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understand that this entire movie seems to have been shot on locations, just around Amsterdam, mm-hmm. kind of catches catch can. It's mm-hmm. all and all the way through this movie, it's all raw sound. Yeah. Uh there's no there's no overdubbing. There's no uh attempt at matching. There is there the is sound the aforementioned from scene to scene. There
2: is the occasional, as we mentioned, the Casio keyboard sound m- yep. m- you know, which shows that they had the ability to dub a sound over the over the, the film, right. I guess, unless somebody's just off-camera playing it. or You know what I mean? Because that makes me think, like, well, then why is the sound so bad in, in the rest of the film? It's like if they had that ability to do that, they obviously didn't have to do these scenes where the sound just abruptly ends with each
1: cut. If you ever find out, you let me know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> but, I mean, let's give the... Before we go much further, let's give the film uh, credit for something that I am glad... I have watched this movie for a single reason, and mm-hmm. I will give it this: uh-huh. uh, this is an opportunity to to, to actually hear Paul Nashy's voice.
2: That's true. That is a good point.
1: Yeah. Uh, that is, to my to my way of thinking, that's my, that's a plus, and it's one of the very few pluses I think mm-hmm. this film presents to a Paul Nashy fan. Mm-hmm. Is uh, although he speaks very little, mm-hmm. he is actually speaking. We're hearing his yeah. actual voice. He's not dubbed.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, that's true.
1: That's a rare thing in, yeah. the, in the filmography of Paul Nashie. It's it's only a handful of films where we we, we can really say that we're listening to Paul Nashie speak, and this is one of them. So, kudos for that. Now let me destroy this film. Yes. <laughs> we are then introduced to the cops. Yeah. Now, we see a, a few cops assigned to this case. Uh, we get a kind of office shot, and then they adjourn to a bar to talk about things. This is where we learn that these guys are escaped... Uh, they, these two guys, these two killers that are roaming around Amsterdam have, have escaped from a French nut nuthouse. Mm-hmm. And between the two of them, they're responsible for 40 murders. So uh, these guys are uh, definitely, definitely people that should not be allowed to linger on the street. Mm-hmm. In other words, the entire police force should probably be mobilized <laughs> yeah. to go after <laughs> these obvious, yeah. psychopathic, mm-hmm. homicidal lunatics. Mm-hmm. But what we have... Or two or three cops.
2: Yeah, and and uh, like an Interpol agent or something, or an FBI agent or something yeah, that, yeah. that kind this, of arrives on the scene to like help with the investigation and proves to be just every bit as
1: ineffectual. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, it's <clears throat> okay. So we're introduced to the <clears throat> pseudo cop element of this film. Uh, we see Nashi checking into a hotel, and the hotel. Uh, awning in the sign the name of the hotel gets prominent prominent viewing in this in this film we're gonna we're gonna let you know where this is because of course i'm assuming these people let them film mm. inside it inside this hotel for free uh i'm sure they thought they were getting some free advertising mm. out of it yeah i guess they were <laughs> <laughs> and remember free advertising is worth every penny you pay
2: <laughs> that's right
1: so he checks into this hotel and immediately kills the cleaning lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not in the place long enough to take a piss. <laughs> and murders the cleaning lady and puts her in the bathtub. Yeah. You now have to find another place to live. Yeah. <laughs> you just checked into a place, mm-hmm. and now you must leave it. <laughs> but we can just ignore all that because we're ne- we never see this room again. We never hear any details about... Someone finding the body. Well,
2: no, I thought, or was that a different? I thought there was a scene much, much later that has the cops standing there around her body. And oh, top. well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, there is that.
2: We never find out how they found out about. How they her. found they, out they about just, it? We just who see the body? And of course, they, yeah, they're just taking, shaking their heads and uh, looking and going, at the body, uh, they, and then
1: leaving the room. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so ridiculous. Anyway, Nashie's character then runs into the uh, Jim H- Abouf character, the other murderer. They decide to go on a. They have a little kill spree here. Uh, the the Jim Haboof character played by Barry Fleming kills a guy and then punctuates it by saying, aha, professional. (laughs) And I thought to myself, no, no. The last word that needs to be associated with any aspect of this movie is the word professional. What in... anyway. Then we get kind of a montage of the two of them, mostly during the day, but I will give them credit. There's at least one of these shots that seems to be in the semi-darkness, mm. so mm. slightly more believable that they can get away with doing this out on the fucking sidewalk where yeah. everybody
2: can see them. Or inside a restaurant when somebody else is setting. Oh, we'll get to that. You'll get that, yeah.
1: <laughs> and this is the scene where... Uh, and this is kind of famous amongst people who've seen this movie. There's a mishap.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely.
1: An on-screen mishap that's yeah, just... it's you know, amazing. Where Nashi is... Uh, attacking this woman and falls down these steps. Yeah. And it's, and it's and obvious. And her too. I mean, they both yeah. just go
2: tumbling down these steps.
1: And it's obvious that this is a mistake. This yeah. is an accident. Yeah. And from what we can tell, Nashi did hurt himself um, falling down it, those stairs. It, it would be painful. It would be almost impossible for him to not have injured himself.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, oh, and, and I love the fact that. that, that they're, 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 they actually replay that a couple of times yeah. as the movie goes on. We're going to replay this Nashy, yeah. <laughs> you know, falling down the fucking staircase thing.
2: <laughs> I wonder if Sidney did the old Edward thing. And like, no, no, keep it in. It's real. It's it's, it's real. That would
1: really happen. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's real. He'd have trouble getting through it. All. It's, it's, oh my God. Anyway, the cops talk to each other at an outdoor cafe. This is, oh man, it's... This is where we're told by these cops that the character played by Paul Nashi is a Spanish horror film star. Yes, and a power lifter. Yes, meaning that we're trying to get across the idea that this character is is a is like a like Paul Nashi himself. Yeah, that this is what he is, and he's kind of playing a version of himself in this movie, which is hysterical and stupid. Yes, very. He much. was a horror movie star. Yeah. <laughs> And nobody yeah. takes note of him, even when he's murdering somebody <laughs> yeah. in the same room with them? None of it's it's stupid, and it's compounded by a credit at the end of the movie, which we will have to discuss. Well, like, well let's just leap ahead. Who the fuck gives a damn? Yeah. One of the credits at the end of this movie... Oh, yes. Yeah. One of the credits at the end of this fucking useless piece of shit... Yeah. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm out of control now. One of the credits at the end of the movie says, and I quote based on the real story of Jacinto Molina.
2: Yeah, and I would just love to know what... I'd love to know when that was added, when that was yes. like, because the relationship between, let's just say, the relationship between Paul Nashie and Sidney Ling went through many ups and downs. So I don't know if that was Sidney Ling's attempt at, at, at humor, that it, at, at, or is it his like attempt, or was it put in there to, as, a, as some sort of slight Towards Nashi, I mean. It's, or did
1: he think it was some kind of aggrandizement? Did he think yeah. that this was some kind of of lifting up of Paul Nashi? Yeah. By having the character he's playing in this movie, uh, a homicidal mm-hmm. lunatic,
2: yeah,
1: be kind of a mirror of Nashi's career himself, powerlifter and horror, you know Spanish horror movie star. If he was trying to compliment him, it's a fail. Yeah. Yeah. And if it was if if he thought if he, if, he, if he was so tin eared to think that this would be something that Nashi would would think was a a, a sweet or kind or uh, even amusing gesture, mm. I don't know that it would have survived the shit that came after they they mm. made this piece of shit together. Right. But it's so bad an idea. Yeah. It's so <laughs> yes, dumb it really, an idea. Yes, exactly. It's like are you trying to tell? <clears throat> it, 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 it's your contention. That by saying this character played by an actor
2: mm-hmm.
1: has attributes that the actor actually has, and then state that the entire movie is based on his life. Horse shit. What are yeah. you doing?
2: Yeah, I know. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it feels like some sort of really.
1: It's lame. It's, yes. Yeah. It's, it's pathetic. It's
2: something that you just know he thought was like so clever and just not realizing how wrong headed it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: I, that's, I, I wish we had more commentary on this film directly from Nash himself.
2: <laughs> well, you, two sentences would be more. That's one of the hilarious... Well, we'll yes. We'll, to, well, here, I'll, I'll quote yes, you. Yes, yes. Let's, let's, let's find out I'll, what, I'll quote you. To hear, if you want to hear Paul Nash you just effuse at length about this, uh, you know, just we'll go see. on and pontificate his feelings about this film.
1: Um... When we get to one of Nashe's films, I always like to pull out the, uh, uh-huh. the issue of videos from the early nineties. That was a special double issue dedicated to Mr. Nashi, where they had a very long interview with him. And then uh, an entire section of this, where they went through all of his movies up to that point in the early nineties and uh, had him talk a little bit about each one of his movies. Now, on some of the movies, he goes on at length. On some, he has just a few comments mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really doesn't seem to matter whether the film was uh, a major work in his mm-hmm. uh, in his resume. If he's got something that, you know, some yeah. little story that, mm-hmm. he, that he wants to tell, he will. Even on some of his best films, he only has a few lines to say about them because, you know, right. they're covering a lot of movies, right? So we skip to 1988. And after he talks a little while about uh, Howl of the Devil. Mm-hmm. We then have uh, Shadows of Blood, Holland, directed by Sidney Ling, script by Sidney Ling, music by Sidney Ling. Du, 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 du. Paul, Nash's, Paul Nash's entire commentary on Shadows of Blood is two words. Mm. No comment.
0: <laughs>
1: and
2: there you have it.
1: <laughs> and there you have it. Paul Nash's entire desire to speak about this movie summed up in yeah. two words. Mm. You gotta love it. I am now talking more about this movie than Nashi ever wanted to. Yeah, Didn't want to be on the record about it. Didn't want to talk about this thing. Yeah. Saw it as a mistake, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And could not have been very happy about the fact yeah. that it was terrible. There's a part of me that kind of wonders if he ever actually saw the entire thing. I'd love to know.
2: I would too.
1: So there, Mr. Nashi, mm-hmm. being, in my opinion... Slighted, insulted, <laughs> yeah. degraded, at best, led down the garden path mm-hmm. by someone taking advantage of him in an attempt to foster a career for himself in cinema.
2: Honestly, I think the only way he was able to get through this film was the fact that he was allowed to smoke a cigar constantly. Yes. Because <laughs> he, he really can work that cigar. He does great things with, you know, but I think that may have been his only concession. With like, if you let me, if you let my character smoke a cigar, I'll make this <laughs> film. Here's a weird thing because it really threw me, it's after you watch so many Paul Nashie films and you watch this film, he's not wearing a hairpiece. Not only is he not wearing, wearing a hat hairpiece, hat the yeah, but there are some times when the hat is off and he's not only not wearing a, a hairpiece, he's got a really, really super bad comb over. Now, there is a, kind of a nice little actor kind of amusing thing he does in one of the scenes where he's just killed somebody yet again. He catches a look of himself in the mirror and he sort of smooths over his comb yeah. over. Yeah, But I had a few thoughts about this. One was like, I would have thought that Paul Nashie would have. I'm. I'm thinking. Okay, they obviously had no budget for for. They probably had no budget for toupees, you know, for hair pieces. But I would have thought that Paul Nashie would have have one of his own. Even maybe he doesn't. I'm like, okay, okay. So they didn't have. They couldn't spring for a, a toupee. I feel bad for him having to. I I mean, you know, having to to do the film without his without some sort of hairpiece because you know he. I think he always preferred to have something like that. Yeah. Unless it was really something he was trying to say about this character. Maybe it is. But then you get the end of the film, and the, it turns out the other killer is the, wearing... Yeah,
1: the Barry Fleming Just character. in
2: some, another one of those WTF scenes, just suddenly then, and laughing maniacally, takes off his toupees. I'm suddenly thinking, like, well, how come he gets a toupee and Paul Nashie doesn't? Oh, I can tell you why. <laughs>
1: Barry Fleming just came with his toupee.
2: Just came with his own. And yeah. like, and I'm not sharing my toupee with you, Paul, so... <laughs> well, and
1: there's that part of me that also, w- when you bring that up, that's just another point that I would have gotten to later on, which is that clearly... The the clothes that we see Paul Nash in, they're yeah. just his clothes.
2: Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I
1: mean there's there's no budget in this movie for costumes. Except for
2: enough? trench coats. They may have sprung for trench uh, coats because there's a bunch of trench coats in there.
1: <laughs> that's that's what we're gonna get to. Folks, mm. if you see someone in this movie and they're wearing a trench coat, that is code for police. Yes. This is how you identify the police in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Cop mm. equal trench coat. Mm. Full stop. Mm. End of story. It got to such a it got to such a such a point about forty five minutes into the movie when I was just laughing maniacally every time I saw someone in a trench coat with oh they must, they must be a cop too.
2: <laughs>
1: oh my god! Anyway, all right. So Nashi, uh, okay. So essentially, this movie just turns into exactly what it was probably always going to be, <laughs> which is, oh Lord, Nashi and the other guy walking around and killing people. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this movie is. The vast vast majority of the quote-unquote action of this picture is people walking around and killing people. Mm-hmm. Nashe and the Barry Fleming character. So we have Nashie, uh sitting down in a restaurant ordering soup. Yeah. When asked what type of soup, just going, soup.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because for some reason, this I, I'm wondering if they thought this was going to be funny. I don't know. Was that supposed to maybe. be? Maybe. I, maybe.
2: I don't know. Yeah.
1: Then he's sitting there puffing away on a cigar Gets up, goes to the table next to him where a woman is sitting, and strangles her in full view of another guy who just sits there and watches this happen. Yeah, yeah. It's another one of those quick strangles, though, so maybe the guy yeah. just didn't have the opportunity <laughs> to jump up and Chip stop up, yeah. this murderous <laughs> bastard from killing this poor woman. I don't know. <sighs> then we have Nashi climbing in an open window and stabbing a bloody pillow. I mean, no, uh, <laughs> killing a woman with a knife. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be, but it's... It's it's, it's
2: just a close-up of a knife stabbing a pillow, you're right. (laughs) That's all it is.
1: Then we have Jim. Okay, this is where you realize that maybe they were trying... Okay, how many of you, dear listeners, have ever seen the 1980 film Maniac? Yes. If you've seen that movie, it is a film, which, don't get me wrong, if you find it detestable or you find it... uh, uh, something just outside the bounds of what you're willing to watch or even if you've watched it once, maybe you feel you never really want to watch it again because it's, it's, a, it's a kind of very grimy film. It's a very depressing mm-hmm. film. It's a very downbeat movie. It's, uh, I, I myself have gone through different ways of thinking about Maniac from 1980. Uh, as much as I admire Joe Spinell, it's an unpleasant film. And one of the odder elements in that movie is that it takes this weird left turn where suddenly this maniacal killer who seems driven to kill women and scalp them is going on a date with Caroline Monroe. Yeah, yeah. And it is this, and it's really odd because mm. Caroline and Joe Spinell in real life were, were good friends. Yeah. They had gotten to know each other when they made Star Crash. Mm-hmm. And so the scenes between Caroline Monroe and Joe Spinell having dinner on a quote unquote date is kind of charming. Mm-hmm. Because they liked each other. They were good friends. Caroline talks about, mm-hmm. in many mm-hmm. interviews, talks about how mm-hmm. Joe was her friend. They really enjoyed t- mm-hmm. being together and talking and shooting the shit. They were, they were good buddies. But this is not, this is like, dry, this this feels as if it is so out of place in the oh, film yeah. Yeah. that it is really disconcerting to a large degree. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that wonders if Sir, I'm sorry, Lord yeah. <laughs> Sidney Ling was thinking, aha, I'll have a similar thing in this serial killer movie. Mm -hmm. So what we have is the Barry Fleming character, Jim, meeting this blonde woman on the street and initiating a kind of... Romance is too strong a word, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) But he he has a conversation. They sit down on a park bench and they have a conversation Mm -hmm. together together. It's very awkward yeah. because the woman is definitely not an actress. Yeah. It's, very, yeah. it's a very uncomfortable sequence. Yeah. It's, none, of, none of it ever feels like anything other than uh, what should have been a first pass before they decided to, uh, let, let's just run through this <laughs> and see how it's going to be, and then we'll turn the camera on and yeah. we'll give this a real shot.
2: Well, the thing about it in Maniac is, is you you understand at least enough about Joe Spinell's character that they've conveyed enough that you know you realize he's he is trying to connect on something. You know, it's like yeah. he's, he's there's a reason that he's not just treating her. Like the uh, the other women, where he's trying yeah. to you know he's trying to reach out and trying to do something. Like he's trying to find someone being. who
1: can. He's trying to find yeah. someone who can understand him or At, someone who can he, he can yeah.
2: communicate. In with Shadows him. of Blood, it seems you're just kind of like more just perplexed. Like why didn't Jim just kill her instantly? Like he has every single other character that he's right. met in the in the film. You know, that there's no reason for you to see given for why he just suddenly starts talking to this particular woman. But he, well, he
1: so he he talks to her. He explains that. Uh, he uh he uh paints with blood. Yeah. Real human blood. And it's like there's nothing that there's nothing creepier than what this conversation devolves to.
2: Yeah. Well, well, I, I, there's one thing creepier and you may be going here too. You now I think beyond that is that there's a scene where they're standing outside the house of Anne Frank. And Oh
1: yeah, that's a little later on. Yeah, you And
2: right. and yes, and they're talking about Anne Frank and and Jim says, "Yes, she suffered, but I suffered more."
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Now,
2: now, ladies, you, you, any of our female listeners that are just you know just getting into the date and dipping your feet into the dating world again, now here's <laughs> I, I understand the whole bad boy thing. Maybe you can overlook when they say they paint, paint with, with blood, blood, but when they tell you they suffered more than Anne Frank. That might be the time. <laughs> might be the time to look for the exit. Take take that name out of the old Rolodex. Slip, for those of you that remember what a slip, Rolodex was. Slip yeah. your hand into yeah. your purse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thumb off the safety switch on the mace <laughs> or the pepper spray. I'm not I'm not judging yeah. either one's fine. <laughs> and prepare yourself to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love is that when they're talking when they when they visit the Anne Frank house, mm-hmm. it's their second date. This woman yeah. gave this lunatic the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, bad tooth and all. Yeah, and then of course, by the time we get to the end of the film, bad tooth and bad toupee. Yeah, <laughs> and paints with blood. And his only—he he, he stresses that he doesn't have a job. Yeah, it's like what? What, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell is happening? Who is this guy? Yeah. Anyway, that's the only. One-to-one that I could figure out for why they would yeah. have tried to sandwich this kind yeah. of half-acid dating sequence into the movie. Well,
2: the the thing that it's leading towards, he's trying to set up an ultimate... He's trying to set up a conflict between our two serial killers. Exactly. Because on Paul Nash's end, the, his character has met a street musician...
1: A, fla- a, a, a flute player a flautist. Yes, the
2: first person he is not immediately killed. Uh, Nashi on his might have found the idea kind of interesting because of his love of the Frankenstein monster. He might have seen his character as being a monster who can only be soothed by music. And so there's scenes of him appreciating this this flautist, you know. So so he has a musician friend and Jim has a girl and so they're trying to set up elements here that are going to come into conflict which again, these are the elements of the things that I say are potentially interesting ideas in totally other hands, you know that instead just end, <laughs> yeah. instead just lead to more what the fuck moments.
1: Uh, well, and there's another kind of interesting moment that this movie uh, brings up and then fucks up.
2: Oh, I think you know what you're going to say. Yeah. with
1: the Jim Jim Sherman meeting
2: is that's, that the older so, is that the, the re- older the sort of re- re- yes that yeah. that to me was something that like for the brief seconds on, I don't think like oh that's kind of a neat idea. Yeah, yeah
1: it's it's where. Uh, uh, it's a park and bench meeting between the Jim Laboof character the one played by Barry Fleming mm. sits down next to this guy and this guy makes himself known to him as uh and then mm. supposedly the Fleming character recognizes him and says oh you're Joe Sherman mm. and he goes hey i killed more people than you and there's just kind of this mutual mm. admiration moment yeah. between these two mm. supposed serial killers and uh then they, you know they separate and go their separate ways and it's just it's it's an interesting idea that I've seen played out in other movies. Uh, there was a, the the, the uh, Leslie Vernon film from several years ago. Uh, the idea of uh, you know uh, a charismatic serial killer and then an old you know uh, a serial killer from a from a previous generation mm-hmm. who uh, you know kind of sees this younger guy as uh, coming along in his wake and kind of picking up the you know take, taking up the mantle of this mm-hmm. particular job and moving forward with it. Uh, in this case, in this film, it is uh, simply uh, a good idea poorly handled. Yeah, it's right. Just, right. It, it, you can imagine it being a good idea in a film that actually had a script. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's just every. Let us let us stress once again. Everything we're describing to you, imagine it at maximum awkwardness. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. As if there was only one chance to get it filmed. Yeah. yeah. And then they needed to move on. Yeah. You can definitely
2: it. tell everything's a one take.
1: Yes, yes.
2: And nearly every scene contains some sort of... Flub. Flub, bizarre delivery of a line, crazy idea. Uh, not crazy in a good sense, but just, just inexplicable.
1: Uh, oh, inexplicable. My, my favorite Jesus, they really should have shot that again sequence, is the scene where Nashi walks up and listens to the flute player mm-hmm. on the street there. The two of them kind of have this nonverbal interaction where it's clear that they're just kind of like gonna like pat each other on the back or the arm or something, but it's done so awkwardly. It's clear that neither of them, neither of them had an idea. they have not talked about how they were gonna right, do it, gonna, and exactly, so it's so yeah. fucking awkward that that I'm literally sitting in the chair watching this and going, "Okay, stop, stop, cut, cut, back up. Let's try that again. Here's what I want to happen. Nash, you go over and tap him on the shoulder, and maybe I'll hug. Let's let's work this out before we fucking shoot film or video or whatever right, the yeah. hell." Because it's just so awkward and stupid looking and it just, it doesn't work. It's the immediate thing where you're just like, okay, well, we need to try that again. We need to try that again. And there are so many scenes in this movie where it's just like, okay, back up. Everybody go back to one and let's try it again. Yeah. (laughs) Let's work the, let's work the blocking out before Mm -hmm. we push record. How about that?
0: (laughs) So we made it. Isn't it nice to be free again in a city like Amsterdam? So many peoples from all over, and so many victims left. You tell me. You're a freak, but... You're right. After all, I'm behind schedule. But news for you, Ah, oh, let's, let's have some fun. I go my way. I shall read about you in the papers for you I hope so, so long. what do you want shut up
1: as mentioned earlier there's not a lot of plot in this damn thing yeah so all we can really do is just continue to talk about how okay well they go here and murder this person Suddenly we have uh, we we, we <laughs> I love the grab shot where they're in a, a film editing bay. Oh yeah and she comes yeah. up to a guy sitting at a film yeah. editing table and, mm. and kills him.
2: And then steps down like he's gonna start editing the film, which right. apparently is just some I guess it was just some sort of gag scene. I mean, you know, it's it supposed had to be to have been. supposed just to be just some
1: kind of joke between uh, them, yeah, right? Yes, yeah. like, What the fuck? And then it become and then we have suddenly there Ashy has a has a big industrial drill and is killing somebody with a drill. Yeah, yeah. There's no setup to the no, scene. No, no, no. There's all. no indication of where we are no. or how how any of this is happening or why any of this is happening or what the fuck is going mm. on. Mm. And it's just there. There's nothing. Then we have uh we have the Anne Frank meeting. and This is when we have there's a there's a chase scene somewhere in here where <laughs> it's it's uh it's an on foot chase scene. Possibly the most incompetent thing I have ever watched in my in entire life. So
2: many levels, yeah. It's like uh, it's 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 it has it's like watching the Keystone Cops, but not intended to be funny. I don't think you know. It's like in the, basically it's a chase. But it's the cops, kind of have think they have Jim cornered or like they've caught him, but. You know, you, you, you They don't
1: know. really seem to be trying to catch it. No,
2: it's. Uh, one thing I think of is, of course, obviously, there's no budget for stunt people.
1: No, not at all.
2: So they're having all the actors are called upon. It's like all the actors are called upon to do their own physical stuff. And other than Paul Nashie accidentally falling down the stairs, the uh, now the actors are just refuse to do physical stuff, you know, or anything that would put them in any kind of real danger. So they're like, just, hey, kind of grab each other's coats for a second and then just let him run.
1: Let him run them free. Yes, exactly. We'll save this in the edit. Yeah, yeah, no, no he you don't. Never will. <laughs> oh my God! So this this incompetent. Cha- Honestly, the incompetent foot on foot chase scene almost has to be seen to be disbelieved.
2: It's it really does. Yeah, truly just, terrible. Yeah. yeah.
1: So more things happen. Uh, Le- the the Haboof guy, uh, the the other serial killer, uh, ends up killing the uh, the flute player, which then pisses off Nashi. Yeah.
2: Now something about that way, the way that scene is filmed, the way it's cut, and the way it makes it look like his girlfriend that he's been courting that is watching him doing this yeah. I'm not sure if she's supposed to if that's what was supposed to have happened if, if well, the idea was she's that she's there though isn't she well the way it's filmed it makes it look like she is I'm wondering if the idea is that he, he leaves and she doesn't see him kill this this flute player but the way it's filmed and cut makes it look like she's standing there staring watching the like whole thing like 12 feet away and right. never says anything about it I mean and then they're cuddling on a park bench after that you know so so it never gives the insight is she supposed to be accepting of this or was she not supposed to have known this was going on and it's just so badly edited and framed that you don't that, that it looks otherwise it looks like she does
1: it's a mystery
2: yes it is yes it is <laughs> like
1: so many things in this yes. film <laughs> it's a freaking mystery yeah so of course this pisses pisses Nashy off so then Nashy Waits until uh, uh, H- H- Haboof is sitting on a bench with the blonde woman, and then Nashi like walks up above the 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 bench they're sitting on, dangles a rope. Now, remember, this is all in broad daylight with yeah. other people walking around on the sidewalk.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Dangles a rope down <laughs> around the blonde woman's throat and strangles her to death.
2: Again, with, in one of these like two second strangulations here.
1: And then in some. Way that I can't comprehend, and you alluded to this earlier, yeah, somehow. Drops her body onto the hood of a car.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really think we're supposed to believe he used the rope to pick her up by her neck and fling her body onto the top of a car. That's what it looks like to me is supposed to be happening there. <laughs> I don't understand. By this point, your jaw has dropped so many times in this film that there's literally actually like insects building, you know, the homes inside your mouth, you know, and that you know you're, you just can't you just can't imagine the expression on on your face through this film.
1: Well, we have more endless scenes of walking, walking yes, around yeah. Amsterdam. Right. Um, you know, incompetently shot walking around the scenes, and I know it may sound strange mm-hmm. to say that scenes of people walking around Amsterdam are incompetent, but they are. Then we have the "You killed my girlfriend" moment, <laughs> <laughs> where where the two murderers uh, attack each other on a, a, a little bridge. Nashi strangles Habouf. uh The cops give chase. Well, I say gives chase. I put imagine that in air quotes. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, and then they think that Nashi has jumped on a boat or a ferry of some type and has gotten away. And I'm not really sure because the only way they're selling the fact that Nashi might be on that is this really tight shot where all you can see is Nashi looking back at them yeah. with the sky. Because yeah. I don't think Nashi ever got on that boat. And I think yes. he was, we could, we could try to fool the try mm-hmm. to fool them that he's actually on this. And it's, I, I I don't know. You're not fooling me.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe you're fooling the cops, but you didn't really need that shot because no. the cops are gullible enough to believe that they possibly, you know, teleported himself somewhere, as far yeah. as I can tell. I don't know. <laughs> then we get this ridiculous, endless, evil laugh thing from the yeah. dead Haboof. I don't know. And this is where he, like, removes his toupee and continues this ridiculous, evil laugh, and we get this long lingering look at his mouth so we can really look at that black tooth on the in the front of his mouth there. Uh, but he gets up. It's like he wasn't dead. He staggers to the water side and collapses there. And then we see Nashi stabbing a pillow again, which I guess is supposed to be him.
2: Yeah, yeah. But well. I thought
1: he was already dead. Yeah. St- you know, strangled.
2: Yeah, or was that scene of Nashi stabbing, was that just supposed to be a callback to... Because there's a couple of times when they use past scenes in the film just to...
1: Yeah, especially here at the end.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially, and, and well, and this is where the film degrades into. We're just going to sh- re-show you scenes mm. from the, earlier in the movie with these weird superimposed. Oh
2: God, that's just red hands. That's so bizarre. Yeah.
1: This is I. I don't. Okay. Imagine the worst video effect of a superimposed pair of uh, silhouetted hands over video image. Tinted red. That's all it is. It's, it's, I don't understand. It's well, terrible.
2: During, in the, in the Finding Desperado podcast, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the postulated uh, along the way by one of the contacts that they make through their hunter that, that the film was, that it was never meant to be a film in the first place, that, that all of this was just test footage and just the, about the potential of actually making a film that they were shooting they also the podcast host also kind of suspect that it's Sidney Ling putting that out there himself yeah, because the film's been his tr-
1: trying to cover himself exactly Hawaii, that
2: yeah. yeah that because the film has been slammed so many times by people like us you know and, and it's got such a bad reputation no, no, that by, he's by seen,
1: anyone, who's, by anyone who's
2: ever seen it that yeah. he's trying to cover his tracks a little bit by saying like no we never really meant this to be a film and then at some point we just edit it together and that's why it's got all these crazy things like what we're talking about these superimposed hands over these ending scenes and all this that i, I guess
1: i mean <laughs> the, the movie ends with Nashy's character just wandering away, uh-huh. uh, not being caught, and then the female cop, essentially, mm. you know, calling him a motherfucker and and may, saying, "Well, maybe it's best this way." Yeah,
2: that's basically her version of the "Hey, it's Chinatown" kind of you know. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> yeah that's yeah.
1: the only thing that it, that's what occurred to me as well. It's, <laughs> it's like, like okay, what? so we're supposed to expect <laughs> we're, we're supposed to expect some kind of world weary. Cop yeah. bullshit at the end of this? No, we're not.
2: Yeah, and the way the, the way this whole movie treats the way the cops talk about these killers through this whole movie is like they're basically like two walking nuclear missiles. Like you know, it's like they're <laughs> going, like these are these these guys. We can't stop them. We're powerless against them. It's the end of civilization. You know?
1: <laughs> they're going to just keep murdering <laughs> yeah. everything in sight.
2: <laughs> yeah, because these guys are so stealthy, you know, and they're so you yeah, know, it's it's,
1: <laughs> it's it's almost as if they're invisible, invisible <laughs> and vulnerable. They're just it's impossible to stop them. It's oh my god, oh my god, what are we gonna do? It's uh, okay, so you you, t- you talked about one of the you know one of the things that they kind of learned during the uh, the Finding Desperado podcast and one of the things that I thought was interesting is they talked to one of the actresses who actually ended up having a career right right uh, after this This is like uh-huh. the first thing she was ever in uh-huh. and uh, she she doesn't have anything more more to more to add to the Sydney Lane story than just being amused by the fact that you know by by you know a year after she was involved in this mm-hmm. she didn't have any more contact mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. guy because it's clear that he really didn't have the contacts to further her career in any real way Mm -hmm. but one of the ways she says that that uh she was sold this picture as in like being in this movie is that she's going to be the victim of a werewolf yeah
2: yeah okay
1: now what that immediately made me think is because this is something that 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 the the two guys on this podcast don't go into in any detail but what that says to me is that if sydney ling had the opportunity to get Paul Nashe to be in a movie because of the low mm-hmm. point at which his career was, mm-hmm. then it might have been an idea for him to have Paul Nashe play a werewolf I had in the this same, film.
2: exact same thought. Yeah, I thought that too. I thought, I wonder if at some point he was thinking that they would make an El Hombre Lobo film.
1: Exactly. And, uh, of course, that requires a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, more money than they obviously had for yeah, this. Yeah, right and so you're not going to get anything that would look like decent werewolf makeup so i wonder if there was ever if, if this idea was ever broached with nashi if this if this was something that was tossed out because well we don't have the money to do this so let's not even mm. let's not even attempt it because i don't know we've gotten to the point yet where Nashi was willing to, I mean, he, he'd done, you know, a couple of little comedic things in the 80s. Yeah. You know, in a couple of kids' movies where, you know, uh-huh. he wasn't, you know, the, the the makeup isn't, you know, what you would call up to the level of what you would hope for for a mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, Valdemar Doninsky film. But the fact that you would sell it that way, it, it could have just been him saying uh, to this lady, hey, hmm. this guy's famous for playing a werewolf family. Hmm. In this movie, he's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And she's misremembering.
2: And now I was thinking that you too. Know, she made, exactly you may have said it that way. I thought about that too, and maybe she's just not remembering it right. Right, right,
1: right. So right. Yeah. Because, you know, if she doesn't really know who he is, right. then that would be just a that would be a tag that would that would stick in your memory forever. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So could be that, could be we may never know. There are some interesting clues in finding Desperado, but nothing that I think is really definitive. Nothing that really lays out a specific answer to any of those ideas because Sidney Ling's full of shit. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> everything we find
1: out about this guy is that he's oh. going to he's going to say anything and everything as long as it makes him yeah. look good. Yeah. This is a this is an incompetently made film on every level. And I also I, well you you brought it up. Do you buy the idea that this was that, that, this was like a template. This is a, like a dry run. This was something <laughs> we're doing to just, you know, it's 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 it's, it's a it's we're going we're going to use this as a as a as a map for how we shoot the real movie. Yeah.
2: I don't think so. I think that I think they meant for this to be a film. I think it's literally just made by somebody who had no filmic sensibilities I, I and had any uh you know, they they you you have to have somebody with something going on creatively to have made something using this kind of technology, but it could have been done, we've seen it done before, but yeah. I just don't think that there was anything any real create, any real imagination, you know, any real ability to tell a story, you know, to know how to right. tell a story. If there was imagination it wasn't able to convey it into interestingly onto the screen.
1: Well, let's put it this way: if this was if this was meant to be some kind of uh, cinematic proof of concept for mm-hmm. the for this story, there are things that would be there. There are things that wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. It's it just feels like someone trying to pretend that it, it's it's like the guy who made the room trying to claim that it yeah. was supposed to be That's, a comedy. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just right. it just it, it mm. feels like after the fact justifications for mm. what everybody is reacting to.
2: Someone on the Finding Desperado podcast even says that this film ought to have the reputation that the room has. You know, it ought to yeah. have that same kind of audience, you know, because it has that same kind of just, you know Madness. Yeah, ma- yeah. yeah. Exactly. This
1: this would make for a great midnight movie experience get everybody drunk uh, or high and yeah, just let them uh, have a blast with it because it's right. just terribly made yeah. and it's terribly made in highly amusing ways if mm-hmm. you can get over if mm-hmm. you can, okay let's let's yeah. put it this way remember we're paul Nashie fans so oh, we're coming okay, at yeah, we're yeah. coming at this from that perspective but if you're just coming at it in the same way that you might come at a viewing of uh the room mm-hmm. it's possible to have a lot of fun with this because yeah. it's terrible mm-hmm. and it's terrible in ways that are incredibly entertaining for every wrong reason that you can imagine there's nothing in this movie yeah. that works effectively even the few decent ideas that get tossed out there are smothered in their cribs they never mm-hmm. they never even reach infancy It's right. just like oh that's a good idea it's dead yeah. It's that, that that person who brought that idea up. That's they're right. It'd mm-hmm. be great. It'd be if we could if we could arrange such a thing in the time of COVID, which of course we cannot. Mm-hmm. It would be perfect. Mm-hmm. But then again, hey, might, you could maybe do it online because God knows nobody's going to claim to own this fucking thing. Yeah. So right. maybe we could just have a screening of it online. <laughs> gather together yeah. every lunatic under the sun. Say yeah. first. Get at least three good drinks into your into this, and then we'll crank this movie up, and you can have some fun with it.
2: And because, in case you're wondering, in case you you know, are crazy enough to want to to want to actually view this, it's on YouTube, so you know yeah. it's easy to see. So you're not going to be out any. You have to shell out anything to see it. So,
1: and it's uh, if you're thinking, ah, well, it won't be a great looking print. There is no great looking no, print.
2: There will never be. <laughs>
1: it's not feasible. Right. It's we're just lucky it wasn't shot on cheese, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking terrible.
2: Can we can we give it a rating? Can you yes, give it Yes,
1: I gave it a two.
2: Okay, I gave it a one. So that's it. I gave it a one simply <laughs> for the fact that it gave us something to have a show about, and it led to the Finding Desperado podcast, which is incredibly yep, entertaining. Yep. And so that's, you know, so I could give it the... I, I gave, gave it the, a two
1: for, for... I gave it a two, not a one. Uh-huh. A two for specific reasons, and I'll mm-hmm. enumerate them. Mm-hmm. One... We get to hear Nashi's voice. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I really do treasure that. I, yeah, that I'm is not, a good
2: thing. That is, yeah.
1: I don't want to. I don't want to pretend that I don't. Yeah. Two. I do. Why wa- I do like watching Paul Nashi on screen. Oh yeah. I mean sure. that's. Yeah. I mean that's. Uh, that's. I, I granted that is a pretty shallow reason. Mm. It, it is. It mm. is. But I do watch mm. him on screen and mm. get a little charge. Yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. Three, the absurdity of it. Mm-hmm. While it's still it it's it's not a fun watch your yeah. first time through.
2: Yeah,
1: there there comes a point when you realize oh I can just give up trying.
2: Yeah, sure. Because
1: yeah. Th- this isn't <laughs> there, there, nothing, nothing's going to work. Mm-hmm. So I can just give up worrying about this mm-hmm. coming together, hanging together. There being a story. There being coherency. There being characters that make sense. There being any logic mm-hmm. that I can give up. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain freedom to that. When you reach a certain point in a movie, uh, let me give you an example in a good movie. The film Mandy. Yeah. If you've seen the film Mandy, I don't know if you have, have you? I have
2: not. I want to. Okay. Uh,
1: well, there comes a point in Mandy when you realize, Mandy, M- M- Mandy is Mandy's I've heard it's very, insane. I've heard it's not, it, it, but it, good. It, I've it is. It in a yes, fun exactly. way, but it's great. There comes a point where you realize, oh, this is amazing. I can now make a decision about what I think I'm watching. Hmm. And the movie makes it very clear that you can make that decision for yourself. And it doesn't alter how you're going to enjoy the rest of the film, whether you're going to enjoy it or not. You can enjoy it and think two or three or four or possibly five different things about the movie from that point on and what you're actually seeing. And it doesn't matter. Hmm. It's still entertaining. Hmm. And it's still something that grips you. In this case... Similarly, there comes a point when you realize, oh, it doesn't fucking matter what I think. Because none of it's going to matter, none of it's gonna make sense. There's yeah. no yeah. there's no coherency. Mm-hmm. The the characters don't the, the characters don't exist as anything other than yeah. something to, you know, mouth poorly thought out English dialogue. Yeah. It's 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 just ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah. And it goes back to the old idea of it being a perfect midnight movie because mm-hmm. you could accidentally fall asleep for 10 minutes and it not it no, it matter. It will not matter, yeah. Uh, it does Oh, well, suddenly he's got a drill. Yeah. Uh, I guess I missed where he picked up the drill. No, you didn't miss where he picked up the drill. It doesn't matter. So, a two. Mm-hmm. Giving it a one, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. It's terrible. It's easily. And people, mm-hmm. hold on. I'm deadly serious when I say this. It's easily, as far as I can tell, the worst movie Paul Nashy has ever been in. It's the worst Paul Nashy film, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. that I have ever seen. Yes, Crimson is better.
2: I'll say it. I agree. I agree. (laughs) I think World of the Amazon is better. I agree. Impusa. Like we said, is better. than.
1: Yes, it is. This is bottom of the barrel. Mm. This is as bad Mm. as I can imagine a film starring my beloved Paul Mm Nashy being Mm -hmm. and still being something that I will struggle through and watch. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, a few more little points of interest. I don't want to go too much longer with this, but uh, I, I will just suggest everybody go back and, uh, or, or if you haven't read, of course, we always recommend you read Paul Nash's autobiography, yes. The Wars of Wolfman. If you have read it and it's been a while, you might want to circle back and, and look up the parts and read the parts on Sidney Ling again. Because <laughs> the first time I read through, I probably found the passages maybe mildly amusing and also, of course, on another level, sad because of the overall Picture of Paul Nashie, what he's going through at this time. And then having watched Shadows of Blood and going back and reading those parts again. And yeah. of course, they take on more meaning now that you find out even more about Lord Sidney Ling and you begin to realize, because the thing is, this should have been it for Paul Nashie and Sidney Ling, right? You wouldn't think, how could their paths possibly cross again? Why would Paul Nashie allow that to happen? Well, he did allow it to happen a couple of more times, which ended up one time, uh, I thought this was really interesting. And, and every time Sidney Ling pops back up in the book, you can almost just hear the womp 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 music. You can almost just hear it in Paul <laughs> Nash's voice, like, and then Sidney Ling popped up again, you know, returned. But it, it, their association did lead to another film, not one that Sidney Ling made, but it led to a film that I'd kind of, we've never really sought out, but I almost kind of want to, uh, and it's another one that Paul Nash, I think, just pretty much dismisses, but it's one called State of Mind that was made in 1992 yeah and actually has some name actors in it um, I'm not sure how much Paul Nashie is in it but so in the back of Paul Nashe's autobiography where there are descriptions of each film and most of the films not all of them but most of the films uh, get uh, you know two or three paragraphs uh, Shadows of Blood only gets one uh, one or two sentences but state of mind here Fred Williamson is in it
1: yeah yeah and, and
2: also for- Don Hannah who is Daryl Hannah's brother,
1: um, yes exactly
2: the only thing it says about it it says Nashie plays the brutal warden of a woman's prison of a women's prison where he rapes and abuses the inmates <laughs> and that's the only description is that one sentence there but I mean I'm, I'm like I, I, I was like okay I wouldn't actually mind seeking that out just to see like what it's like and you know Fred Williamson hey, you know Paul Nashie yeah well y'all check it out
1: I'm, I'm willing to check it out from, my, from what I understand Nashie's not in it for more than a couple of minutes
2: and that's probably true I mean that's what I would expect
1: and there, I mean, am I wrong in, in stating outright that there's some kind of story in which Nashi may have pulled a knife on Sidney Ling at some end? You know? Well,
2: um, yeah, I was heading to that because I was uh, one of the things I thought was really intriguing too on rereading those segments is that I'd forgotten that Sidney Ling uh, approached Paul Nashi to you know, make films again or to see if Nashi had any scripts he wanted filmed, and Nashi had two scripts that he had written that he was shopping around, and and of course, you know, not getting any doors open. But one was called uh, The Return of Dracula. and I this think is, that's This was in the 90s. Yes, yeah. in the 90s. But I think that's interesting that, uh, you know, as much as we've talked about Count Dracula's great love, I think it's interesting that Paul Nashie apparently had envisioned playing the Count another time or had another story with Count Dracula in mind. I don't know if he was seeing himself as playing the Count or was playing a different kind of character by this point. But I almost wonder if it could have been still that, Planned sequel to get to uh, to Dracula's, Dracula's great, love. great
1: love, which yeah, which we talked about a whole lot when we covered that movie because it's very clear that there is a, a a strong setup for a possible sequel to Count Dracula's great love that never got made, yeah, right? Uh, and I've always been intrigued by what I would have loved, especially once you get to the 1990s, what I would have liked to have seen. Is Nashi approaching a Dracula story with the idea of playing Von Helsing?
2: Yeah, and I was thinking that too. Maybe by this point in his career, he might have been seeing himself doing maybe something more like that. Yeah, he. I had the other script he had was one called "When the Lights Go Out," that uh, where that's about a serial killer and I, I read that and I think man I would love it if his family someday would would, would, would have those scripts would make them translated and available so I would just drool to read these un, unfilmed would, Nashie I would, scripts I would,
1: if, they, if they would put them out in film books I would buy them in an instant yeah, yeah of course
2: but uh, Sidney Ling uh, there's a story where again you, you can only imagine this happening because of the desperate situation that Paul Nashie was in it Was it was um, even by the point where Nashie was pretty much sick of Sidney Ling he still agreed to buy a lot of film stock. Uh, Sidney Ling wanted to make a film with him. He said, hey, we'll pay for all this other stuff. We just need you to provide the film stocks. So and Ashley spent a lot of money that he really didn't want to have to spend, but he, you know, to go ahead and buy this film stock and then ended up spending days and days in a hotel waiting for something to happen and finally realizing they'd had been had yet again. Um, I really think probably Sidney Ling really had intended on, I don't think he was just brought him along just to, make a fool out of him. I mean, I think Cindy Ling probably really had grandiose plans to do something here, but... Maybe. My favorite part about the story, though, is that it does end with Paul Nashi essentially punching him out. You know, yes. that, I think that's what you're thinking of the pull of the knife is he yeah, just says yeah. that he, he got in some good licks on him is the way he put it. And I'm thinking there's not many actors who get to finish the story of the worst film they ever made by actually getting to punch the filmmaker, you know, and (laughs) I wonder if maybe there'd be less bad films in the world if more more of them ended with the actors actually punching Punching the director, so good for you, Paul Nashie, that's,
1: (laughs) (laughs) now I have visions of Nick Cage punching Michael Bay as, (laughs) yeah, Oh, God. That, oh. That's that's the smile I needed right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, folks, I think we've uh, given you enough information about Shadows of Blood for you to make a decision about whether or not you want to subject yourself to this particular uh, cinematic bolus, uh-huh. uh, I guess mm-hmm. would be the best yeah. way to describe it. It's yeah. It's its own thing. Yeah. If you want to see it, you've been warned. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the first five minutes would tell you all you need to know about whether you want to continue to suffer through the next hour. Mm-hmm. It's... An experience you may or may not wish to have,
2: but we do recommend you go find Finding Desperado and check the. Regardless of whether you see the film or not, to listen to this uh, very entertaining podcast. Uh, still don't know whether to thank or blame our friend Shannon for, uh, <laughs> but, but no, we do thank you, Shannon, for pointing us out, pointing this out to us, and
1: definitely, uh, definitely, big thanks because yeah. uh, first of all, the the, the show, the, the podcast is extraordinarily funny. Yeah, it is, and uh, just the the hunt for mm-hmm. Lex the Wonder Dog and mm-hmm. the. Uh, the uh, amusing way in which the the guys handle uh, the fact that they that they're going to be talking about uh, Shadows of Blood is is quite quite funny. I yeah. they, they bring in a professional film critic to actually yeah. talk about it, and uh-huh. she she's very good. I really like yeah. I really yeah. liked her quick review of Shadows of Blood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, let's just say that uh, there's more entertainment in a single episode. There's more real genuine fun and mm-hmm. creativity and entertainment and slickness and mm-hmm. just all-around joy in a single episode of that podcast and in all of Shadows of Blood. Amen to that. But mm-hmm. some of us like Paul Nashie, so we'll watch almost anything, won't yeah. we?
2: We hope that this is not the last Paul Nashie film we'll ever cover. I would hate for it to end on, on as far as that, but hopefully we'll be able to get our hands on a few others. Even if maybe even, maybe even some of his, the, I'd love it if some of the stuff he did for Japanese television, uh, you know the documentaries he did, and also I think he did a movie or two for Japanese television. I'd love well, it if the, those would come.
1: The documentaries have popped up, yeah, on uh, on YouTube, but I don't know that there's Probably an not, English. There's not yeah. an English-friendly version right. of it, but right. they, 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 they have popped up. It's just right. a question of, uh, like I say, like with the uh, Los, Los, uh, Los Pasajeros, mm-hmm. uh, it, we're we're pretty much at the uh, at the beck and call of the fan sub community. Yeah. If some of these movies get fan subs, once once they happen then we get to cover them because we have an actual mm. uh an end to yeah. to enjoying them. We have a way because I don't want to cover a movie if I if I'm you know if I'm oh. not positive oh, of what's being said. I don't oh, wanna, no, no, I don't want to make no. judgments about a film before I actually have a, a firm grasp on what's what's being attempted. So, yeah. Cuz
2: there's there's a couple there's one that we think the translation is maybe All the Crimes of Silence maybe is what the translation of the title is, something similar to that and uh yeah, there's a couple there that, that we felt not only that he's in but I think also uh he may have had something to do with the the screenplay?
1: All the Screams of Silence?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Which apparently he wrote the story for, if not the screenplay. Right. Uh, yeah, that one looks like a... That would, that, that, mm. I'm curious about that one as well. It's from the very, very fertile period mm-hmm. that uh, we both love so much, and it would be great to finally see this one. But yeah, there, as far as we know right now, there's not an English-friendly version. Maybe I need, a, maybe I need to do a, a yeah, new hunt. Yeah, new hunt see, on maybe that,
2: something's so. popped up on that one, yeah.
1: It is supposedly a crime film... Or some kind of mystery, Murta um, Miller, Murta Miller, it? Or Blanco
2: Strada, yeah,
1: yeah, could be worth seeing Me- if we can ever find an English-friendly version. That's one that we've definitely covered. But yeah. for right now, all we can say is that we have finally, much against my initial wishes, covered <laughs> Shadows of Blood. Yes, yeah.
2: friends, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. We have thrown ourselves on this one. We you,
2: saw it, so you don't have to.
1: Yeah. You may now seek it out if you wish. Folks, uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and uh, have uh, we've got a few uh, emails to read out, and mm-hmm. then we will uh, let you know what we'll be doing in the near future.
0: Vampires, werewolves, zombies.
1: Yes, these things are real,
2: but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's
1: good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems and his rates are negotiable
0: monster hunter for hire the first volume of the supernatural solutions the mark temple case files is now available in both ebook and paperback go to tinyurl.com slash temple to buy your copy of Derek m cook's latest book read about mark temple the experienced professional now available
1: to rid you of your supernatural ghoulish and monstrous pests that's tinyurl.com slash Temple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is
0: discreet. Shoop. Shoop.
1: Troy, how did we discuss Shadows of Blood and not talk about the, uh, the astonishing oh. hit, hit theme song? Oh, man. Shadows of Blood.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't believe this didn't win, like, Euro Song or whatever that... Uh, <laughs> This contest is that you're well,
1: i, I no doubt. Uh, um, <sighs> I've, I've, already, I've already assaulted the, the listeners, yeah, yeah so for podcast listeners, <laughs> and you have it in your head. <laughs> but if you were not picking up on the lyrics, mm-hmm. they are as inane as you think they probably are mm-hmm. if you've not been, mm-hmm. you know, close listening to them. These are the lyrics. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not making this up. These are the lyrics Shadows of Blood over Amsterdam means dealing with death. Where do I start to begin? Where do I start to end? Ending the killing spree in my town. (laughs) Friends, those are what are known as nonsense lyrics that you put in place while you're writing the music so that you can come back later and write good lyrics. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what happened. No, no. Much like the blocking in this movie, <laughs> it was not thought out well enough, <laughs> and enough time was not spent. So, Well, folks, uh, we would just like to say we've got a few things to read out here, but uh, if you have any comments, remember you can write to us as well, Nashicast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. Let's start with this very long one. This is from the fellow who wrote to us before. Yeah, last, uh,
2: Leon, last show.
1: We talked with, uh, well, we we read his read his email. We were we were rather puzzled. We we like this. He wrote back. His name is Kurt. He says, "Hi, fellas. It's Kurt from Sumatra. Thanks so much for addressing my purchasing dilemma and for doing it on your podcast. You'll be happy to know that I appreciately followed your advice and shelled out for Volume One. As a lifelong lover of exotica, your description of the werewolf and the yeti as being like an old Republic serial almost caused me to flip the script, but in the end." Horror rises from the tomb broke the tie. It has always it has just always seemed like the essential desert island Nashi movie. And hell, there'll be other Christmases.
2: Yeah, he was asking us, so uh, should he buy the first Nashi collection uh, the or Screen the second Factory one? Scream yeah. Factory sets the first volume one and volume two, and we recommended volume one, although we told him he couldn't go wrong with either one. So.
1: And uh, here's the thing. I mean, when we say uh, Werewolf and the Yeti is kind of like an old Republic serial. Uh, that's just one of the many elements within mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, it's it, Don't get me wrong, it's a good element. Oh, absolutely. But it's uh, it's just part of the, the melange, the joyful yeah. melange that is yeah. that film. Uh, back to his email. He says, uh, I say presciently because I actually ordered the collection a few weeks before your podcast. Just couldn't wait. I understand. Yeah. See, discs which I order have to first make their way from the, distribu- the distributor to my parents' house in Michigan and then the long voyage to Jakarta, and Palembang, there to languish for weeks and sometimes months in the post office. <laughs> Subject to the vagaries of a developing world postal system. Uh, yeah, let's let's give you some stories from your homeland about the postal system. All you need to have is an asshole in charge. Anyway, uh, draconian customs fees and sometimes the malevolent attentions of a disapproving censor. I haven't yet had to deal with the disapproving censor, but I can tell you that a previous shipment which included both embodiment of evil and beyond the valley of the dolls, gave me some nervous moments. Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> My Nashi collection, in fact, languishes there now. For company, shout factories for oh, and for company shout factories. Vincent Price collection, volume one. No need to tug on your sleeves for advice as to which volume in that series to order first. <laughs> which fighter general beats all comers in that man's beloved over? Ain't you correct there, buddy? Yes. Uh, and several other exploitation goodies sounds like he's got a good package waiting mm-hmm. for him yeah thank you also rod for your interest in how i arrived in this tropical land since i assume you get bombarded with correspondence from all good monsters monster, monster chillin' in the world over i will try and fail to be brief i was born in the house my father built wait too much Way too much? Okay, okay. Uh, as of 2009... <laughs> luckily, he's not going to back up that far, folks. <laughs> hang on. As of 2009, I was still enjoying the Bohem- bohemian good life amongst the rock's cl- rock clubs and art house cinemas of San Francisco, working as a private investigator out of a tiny office located above a bank off of Van Ness nu- Van nu- Boulevard, when suddenly the bottom dropped out. Due to the treachery of a friend and housemate. I lost my place in the rent-controlled mission district apartment I had lived in for 14 years. At the same time, my little PI firm was folding up. Being a private eye is a great thing to tell girls at parties, but truth to tell, I was never an especially good one. My mind tends to work in a daydreamy, creative way rather than the still-trap, quick-thinking, nail-every-detail mode necessary for good PI work. The thought of knocking on doors with my CV soured my stomach and as for starting my own firm, the two investigators I had been working with had already done so and raided the boss's Rolodex for all the good client leads. So, despite some fond and rather cinematic memories of shadowing philandering husbands down neon-lit alleys in the city of Dashiell Hammett, I knew that part of my life was over. This situation precipitated a pretty much classic midlife crisis. Mid-forties, jobless, homeless, adrift in what had become one of the most expensive cities in America to live in, I surfed couches. I got a one-month sublet for twice what I'd been paying at my old flat with a bunch of UC Berkeley engineering students, bemused and amused at this old guy wandering through their beer pong parties in a bathrobe. I watched my meager savings dwindle. I had to make a big move. Is this when we get to the assassination attempt? No, no, no okay, sorry. Uh, back, to, back to Kurt's email. My mind kept casting back to one of the great adventures of my life. A six-month solo backpacking trip I had taken 10 years previous through Thailand, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Hiking through jungles, climbing volcanoes, I had been happy then. I desperately wanted to be happy now. So, more as a delaying tactic than a life decision, I set my sights back on Indonesia. How does a former PI with a background in surveillance, record searches, and in security work make it pay in Southeast Asia? By murdering... No, no, I'm sorry, I added that part. By teaching English, of course. So it was off to Surabaya, Surabaya, Johnny, for a 30-day teaching course. And a couple jobs later, I found myself here in the charmless city of Palembang, <laughs> teaching all levels of an, at an exclusive private school. I came to Indonesia not to grow up, but rather to extend the post-collegiate ideal that had been my life. Yet, 10 years in, I have a beautiful Javanese wife, an incredible little daughter, and... And just days ago, signed a loan for my first house ever. This is apparently the swampy hill that I've chosen to die on. (laughs) Cue the old saw about the Chinese logogram for disaster being the same as that for opportunity. And you guys have been a normalcy-restoring part of this world for four years now, maybe five. I've dipped my toes in the shallows of other related podcasts, B-movie, PsyOps, but I always unsubscribe after a couple of weeks. Oh, Sorry. I suppose after I burn through all the available bloody pit back episodes, I've already done so with the NashiCast, cast. I'll have to expand my pod universe, but I'll always look forward to new episodes from you guys. Films like *The Lorelai's Grasp* and *A Bell from Hell*, and soon, Daddy O, five new Nashi Musk inhalant delivery systems <laughs> now reside in my disc collection as a direct result of your podcasts. In closing, since I know you are highly and widely regarded influencers in the world of exploitation film criticism, uh, you may be giving us more credit than <laughs> we're due. I'd like to advance my theory, which you may amplify or ignore for the inclusion of Curse of the Werewolf as an essential building block of the British film thespian pantheon of the 60s. I don't not argue. He says, My evidence is circumstantial, but I feel strong. All of the esteemed male British film actors of that era came from angry young man movies, right? Richard Burton, Look Back in Anger. Albert Finney, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Richard Harris, This Sporting Life. Alan Bates, A Kind of Loving. Tom Courtney, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. It could be argued that Lawrence of Arabia is at core an angry young man movie. By these lights, I suppose that Curse of the Werewolf is Oliver Reed's Really, really super fucking angry young man movie <laughs> and should accordingly take its rightful place in discussions of the aforementioned dynasty and subgenre and the historical significance thereof. You know, hey
2: not, Kurt, yeah,
1: you may have something there, and this is an idea I'm gonna have to float to, uh, I have to float that out there to, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, to a lot of people.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm gonna float that idea out there to Cat to Ellinger and.
2: Yeah.
1: I would. Uh, I would
2: throw. Uh, I. I think you could throw Malcolm McDowell in if and O Lucky Man. You know films. The films. I think you could throw those films in with this too.
1: You're getting into the 70s. Though. That's true. That's
2: true. He's a little. That's true. That is more 70s yeah. than yeah. But I will say uh, Curse the Werewolf. Uh, yeah, that is a good question. I'm not sure who's scarier, uh, Oliver Reed as a werewolf or just Oliver Reed in that film. <laughs> uh, so and and that is actually may still really be my overall all time favorite werewolf movie. I mean it's it's I think even with all the Paul Nashee films I love and with all the and, and all the other great werewolf movies of Curse the Werewolf is probably my favorite.
1: But posing it as one of the as angry young, young men it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, I think I, I think there's that. I can see it too. Yeah, I like I can, it. Man, I think Kurt, I think you may be on to something yeah. there. And we've got a We've got to float this idea out there. All credit will go to you because what a great idea. It is. Okay. He winds it up with, uh, well, thanks again for everything, guys. Now let's see if you can talk me into buying Shadows of Blood on your next cast. We don't have to talk you into buying it. (laughs) Kurt, it's free on YouTube (laughs) and worth every fucking nickel that you would pay to see it for free.
2: Two thoughts. One, Kurt, um, your your story you just spun for us, your life story right there, is already a better was better than Shadows of Blood. <laughs> it would have made a better film than. And uh, and after hearing your private eye, want to I want to call you Nick Danger Third Eye from now on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My friend, there there came a point when when reading your your tale that uh, I I thought that you were going to break at some point and explain that you were just funning us
2: exactly yeah but, stringing
1: uh, us along. Mm-hmm. Uh, Having a little mm-hmm. jape at our mm-hmm. expense, uh, but my God, dude, you yeah. are you are uh, if not the most interesting man in the world, easily top five.
2: You may be the subject of the next subject of this uh, podcast we've been talking about tonight, the Finding Desperado guys. They may sur- <laughs> they may pick you as their next uh, subject to hunt down.
1: <laughs> English teacher, private eye, <laughs> couch surfer, Paul Nashi fan. <laughs> Can he exist? Can he exist? Can he Does he <laughs> exist? Is he real? Does he actually have a child? These are things that we will explore mm-hmm. next. And on.
2: what's with all those monkeys? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is, this is Sumatra rat, rat rat monkeys, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, uh, Kurt! Thank you for that. Uh, yes, it was a long email, possibly the longest we've ever had. Worth every yeah. second. Yeah,
2: good, good stuff.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, well, hold on. I think we got another one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One more. One more. One more. This is from uh, Rob says, hey, guys, just wanted to pass along some appreciation for the work you guys do, really digging the pods on Spanish horror as well as the work on Bloody Pit. But I'm curious, have you guys reviewed the Rex series at all via pod or written review? If so, I'm curious to check it out. Again, thanks for all the hard work slash prep y'all put into. With appreciation, Rob. Uh, Well, let's
2: see. Well, the closest we have come is um, um, Sleep Tight, Uh, which is by the same director as the rec films well as
1: two or three
2: not all of them (laughs) yes yes. Uh,
1: we have not yet covered the rec films I am a huge fan Troy you have seen
2: I've seen the first three and I didn't even know until we were talking about a little while ago I didn't even realize there was a fourth one but I have seen the first three
1: well, uh, we we the rec films are definitely on the agenda mm-hmm. to cover as kind of the 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 one of the rare twenty first century Spanish horror films that we intend to cover. Of course, we you know we've we've covered a, a few twenty first century nashi films, but the uh, the 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 strictly Spanish horror stuff. Our first real foray into that outside of the nashi realm was Sleep Tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, there was one other.
2: Yeah, we've done. We did, like, Attack of the Werewolves and...
1: Yeah, Attack of the Werewolves, which was great.
2: Yes, yes.
1: But we do intend to do more, and the Wreck films definitely are on mm-hmm. tap. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure if we'll get to them before the end of 2021. We might.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, we have a few exciting uh, little uh, Nashy surprises up our sleeves for the mm-hmm. coming year for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of uh, rarer, uh, recently happily subtitled Nashy films from... Uh, earlier in the earlier in his career, shall we say, uh, that we intend to get to. But then of course those beyond Nashy those Beyond Nashy podcasts got to happen as well. Yeah, that's right. But uh we're thinking also about uh covering uh a '90s Spanish film called called uh, The Red Squirrel. I'm mm-hmm. I, uh, I may get back to pushing for covering the film Thesis from '96, oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, which one. is
1: a phenomenal film, and maybe even uh, nobody knows anybody mm-hmm. from '99. I think, which is a great movie. There's a lot of good stuff to talk yeah. about when you talk about when you when you branch off into the uh, Beyond Nashi stuff. There's a lot of great stuff out there. But yes, the rec films are on the agenda. We haven't done it yet. We do intend to. So, folks, uh-huh. if you would like to send in a question for us, if you've got something uh, on your mind that you uh, might want us to cover, nashycast at gmail.com. Please send us your missives. Now, next time, what are we doing? Ah, oh, yes, that's Over on, right. the, over on the Bloody goodness. Pit. The next thing Troy and I will be doing will be over there. Our Universal 1940s Horror Films series of podcasts continue with, uh, well, well, we lurch into a series within a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a little excited about it. We yeah, debated yeah. we debated for about a year as to mm-hmm. whether or not we were going to do this when this came up. And we have decided to just plow on through. We're going to continue to use the Universal Horrors book as our template. And uh, since there are some of these uh, Sherlock Holmes films that mm-hmm. we definitely do want to cover as they are horror movies, there are several of them that really, really fit the bill as 40s horror films from the 1940s, regardless of them being Sherlock Holmes films. We're just going to barrel through them all. Mm-hmm. So we come to the first one next month with uh, Sherlock Holmes and The Voice of Tara from 1942. Yep. Looking forward to covering it. It's been a few years since I've rewatched this one, and... Uh, it's been so long since you watched it, you feel like it's going to be kind of new. Right? Yeah, they're pretty
2: much going to be new because, yeah, like I said, I've, I've I've seen these so many years ago and in so many bits and pieces that I might as well be considering them all all new territory to me, which is fun. So yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Gonna be great. A little Basil Rathbone never oh, yeah. hurt anybody. Basil's great. It's fantastic. So we will uh, be doing that over on the Bloody Pit next month. Uh, after that, our next uh, podcast here on uh, the Nashi Cast. We haven't decided if we're going to zig zag. We haven't decided if the next episode is going to be another Nashi film that's, uh, you know, a rarity that we can now uh, enjoy in English in one way or another, or if it's going to be a Beyond Nashi. We haven't done a Beyond yeah. Nashi this year yet, so maybe we probably ought to do a Beyond mm-hmm. Nashi, and we probably ought to try to make a decision yeah. on what that might be.
2: Yeah, we may have a guest on sometime again for long. Yes. You know, we've yes. we've enjoyed having other people come on and talk about their love of Nashi, so we may uh, may have that sometime in the months ahead.
1: Uh, With any luck whatsoever, we will. Yes, indeed. Uh, So, uh, sorry we can't tell you exactly what's coming next on the Cast, so that you can play ahead, but uh, we've just got to kind of figure it out a little bit on our own. So, thank you for listening, and uh, we uh, we will get back to you as soon as we can. Remember, join us over on the Bloody Pit as well. I am Rod Barnett.
2: I'm Troy Gwynn.
1: We'll talk to you again soon.
0: We didn't... Uh, uh, Toy kids straddle the streets We've shunned them from the greasy grind The poor little things They look so sad and old As they mount us from behind I ask them to desist and to refrain And then we call upon the off to explain Clutched in his hand He died with tubes up his nose And a cabal of angels with, with finger symbols Chanted his name in code We shook our fists At the punishing rain And we called upon The author to train. messed up round here. Everything is banal and June. It's a planetary conspiracy against the likes of you and me in this idiot constituency of the moon. Well, he knew exactly who to blame. And we call upon the author to explain. Oh, Prolex, Prolex, nothing a pair of scissors can't fix. Yeah, Prolex.